turn with me to our series in the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 12. Well, for the first 11 chapters of John, known as the Book of Signs, and and including the 12th chapter, which we'll begin studying this morning, the 12th chapter being a transitional chapter, we've followed Jesus' ministry for a little more than two years. We've read his discourses. We have observed his miracles. We've encountered the growing opposition and unbelief of his claim to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And now his public ministry has come to a close. His last sign was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. He immediately leaves Jerusalem and Bethany, the area around Jerusalem, and he heads out to Ephraim. He heads out to the rural area simply to get away from those who are hell-bent on taking his life, who are wanting to arrest him and execute him. Because his hour, as John repeatedly says in his gospel, his hour had not yet come. And so Jesus heads out, and the close of John 11 leads us into John 12. We've gone more than two years, and now over the next 11, 12 chapters, we're going to spend this, these coming months looking at one week. John slows down very quickly. He, he slows this narrative down. He slows down all he's recording about Jesus because he wants to focus in on this last week of Jesus's life. It is the beginning of the most important week in all of world history. And while the first half does take over two years and we get a lot of moving about with Jesus from one place to another. This all takes place in Jerusalem. And John gives us in 10 chapters, he gives us in vivid and agonizing detail what the last week of Jesus's life is like. The betrayal, the ridicule, the mocking, the beatings, the suffering, and finally his crucifixion. Look at John 11. I want to start there. Verse 55 is really the beginning of this transition as we move into 12. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So this edict is hanging over Jerusalem. The chief priests, the Pharisees have spoken. If you know where Jesus is, let us know. With the implication that if you don't, trouble awaits you as well. So the speculation, the conversation is going on, will he come? Because Jesus is aware that they want to arrest him. And they're aware that he has left the area. And so they are beginning to speculate. Jerusalem is buzzing. 
because it is the Passover, but it's buzzing more than about the Passover. It's because Jesus has become such a nuisance. It's because he has become dangerous to them, dangerous to their way of life, dangerous to their, their status, dangerous to their reputation. But Jesus doesn't stay away. And as we begin to read in chapter 12, he will make his way to Jerusalem. Now, as he does make his way from the rural areas, from the secluded areas, from Ephraim to Jerusalem, he doesn't go directly. He goes by way of Jericho. And in in Luke, we read that in Jericho, ministry is quietly still going on. He, He meets with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus comes to faith in Christ. He leaves Jericho, and he encounters Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus experiences the power of God. What a kind and loving Savior. And then Jesus, in chapter 12, makes his way towards Jerusalem with one more stop. Look at verse verse 1, starting in chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, John's very clear about the details. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, or perfume, made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who is about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Father, We want to hear you speak this morning. Lord, we have already heard you speak. We've heard you speak to us through the inspired words that John has penned. And now, Lord, we ask you to speak to us by your spirit that we might understand and know what you are communicating, that we individually and corporately might encounter you. Lord, I pray for my, my brothers and sisters that their hearts this morning would be soft and their ears would be open and their eyes would see that they may walk away from this morning having spent time with you. Lord, I pray for myself that you would 
help me to love my church as I do and shepherd them through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 12 is a turning point in John's gospel. It is both the end and the beginning. It is the end of this book of signs and it is the beginning of the next coming chapters known as the book of passion. John's gospel slows down for this reason. For John 20, 31, the purpose of John's book. What is John 20, 31? Does anybody know John 20, 31? These things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. That's why John was written. And that's why this this narrative, this passion narrative slows down even more for John so that those who are reading might see and understand who Jesus is. And that by believing and seeing that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, they might find life in his name. Now, in, these, in, in chapter 12, both this week and next week, the first two sections that we'll study, there are two groups that are honoring Jesus. We see there's this honor, this, this dinner for him that is honoring him, most likely for the things they have done, and especially, I think, for the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And then we see them honoring Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem, and we'll talk about that next week. It is interesting to note, though, as John moves on, that the people who were so bent on honoring him at the beginning of John 12, as we move on into the the passion narrative, are the very ones who begin to yell, crucify him. Crucify him. And in view of the Pharisees' order that anyone who might, in verse 57 of 11, anyone who might know where Jesus is should let the Pharisees know so they can arrest him and put him to death. It is, it is bold of these folks to give a dinner for Jesus in his honor, knowing they are only two miles from Jerusalem. Knowing that, and as we'll read at the end of this chapter, the chief priests and the elders, they do know that this banquet has taken place. So it is, it is unique that these folks would do it. And, and the town is buzzing over this dinner because Jesus is back. They're buzzing over the, the, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And as we read in this passage, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. That's not unusual for us. There is Martha serving as she has, as we read about earlier when Jesus had been at the home of Martha and Mary, she's there serving. But this time, with a much better attitude. Lazarus is there as we learn. And as we we read in this passage, we don't know whose house they're at from John's account, but when you read Mark and you read Matthew, you learn that they are actually at the home of Simon the leper. This is a this is an all-star cast of people who have encountered Jesus Christ. You can imagine I mean think about Simon the leper his home. He was a leper. 
until he encountered Jesus. He was a social outcast. Nobody would come into his home because he had no home. He was kept away. He was unclean. He was rejected by all in society. The only ones who might hang around Simon the leper were other lepers. And Jesus has healed him. And now he has a home. And now he's back most likely with his family. And now he is able to give a dinner in the honor of Jesus. But what John highlights most about this dinner is not Lazarus' presence. Although that's, that's pretty cool. Anyone ever had dinner with somebody who's been raised from the dead? <laughs> no. If you have, I, come up here. Let's hear all about it. No, this is, and so it would be understandable that John might draw attention to Lazarus, but he doesn't. He draws attention to something more important. Mary, in verse three, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, perfume, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. He draws our attention to Mary's stunning act of devotion. An act that is so profound. Jesus himself says it will be remembered every time the gospel is preached. Matthew 26. In his book, I Shall Not Want, Robert Ketchum tells of a Sunday school teacher who asked her group of children if anyone could quote the entire 23rd Psalm. A golden-haired, four-and-a-half-year-old girl was among those who raised their hands. A bit skeptical, the teacher asked if she could really quote the entire Psalm. The little girl came to the front of the room, faced the class, made a perky little bow and said, The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. And that is what Mary is expressing in this passage as she breaks this expensive alabaster vial of one pound of incredibly expensive perfume. And she anoints Jesus with this perfume. She pours this perfume upon him. Now John records that she pours it upon his feet. The other gospel writers record that she pours it all over him. And it is recorded she broke the vial. And in Judas's eyes, all had gone to waste. This is what Mary expressed in the anointing of Jesus for his upcoming burial, a prophetic act by Mary. Jesus is all I want. That's Mary's proclamation this night at this dinner. Jesus is all I want. My proposition this morning for us is this. Because Christ died for us, we give everything to him regardless of how foolish it looks to others. Because Christ died for us, we give everything to him regardless of how foolish it looks to others. The title of my message this morning is 
Nothing less than the best will do. Nothing less than the best will do. Now, in this account by John of Mary, Mary's, Mary is a portrait of a life sold out to Christ. More discerning than any of the disciples, she comes to the dinner with this pound of expensive perfume. Jesus, what's unusual was Jesus was not dead. And yet she's anointing him with perfume. He, he is sitting there right before her. Now, now, this is a similar prophetic act that Mary is performing, similar to when Caiaphas, just a few chapters earlier, states that, that, it, that Jesus would be okay for Jesus to die for all the, all the people, that he would be the one who represents all the people. Caiaphas did not know what he was saying at the time. Mary, Mary does to some degree, but she does. I don't think she knows the full extent of her act of anointing Jesus for burial. But she has. She's trusted in Christ for quite a while, and now in her mind, she just wants to give her best. She wants to give her all for Christ, for Jesus, before he dies. My main points this morning being that her best should be our best, Mary's devotion was four things. Mary's devotion was extravagant. Mary's devotion was humble. Mary's devotion was sacrificial. And Mary's devotion was courageous. Extravagant, humble, sacrificial and courageous. Let's look at the first one. Mary's devotion was extravagant. In, in verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive perfume. A pound of expensive perfume. The perfume was Mary's. And I can only imagine what her sister Martha might have been thinking as Mary broke this expensive alabaster jar and poured it all over Jesus there's a possibility that this, this alabaster jar was a family heirloom. The perfume inside of it was most likely a family inheritance. It was worth a year's wages. It was from the spikenard plant, which is found only in the high mountains of India and Nepal, up near the Himalayas, and to be exported to uh, Jerusalem to to be in the presence and the, and, the, and the possession of somebody like Mary, it is, it is extremely valuable. And Mary, Mary just breaks the vial and pours it all upon Jesus. This very expensive perfume. She gives the best of all she has. Similar to what David said in 2 Samuel 24, 18. He says, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I will not offer to the Lord that which does not, which costs me nothing. Following Christ should be costly. It is costly. It can often mean regularly having to, to decide between living for the world or living for Christ. 
Remember in John 6, Jesus is talking about, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And his, many of his disciples says, this is too hard a saying. And many left him that day. There is a price to be fit, paid to follow Christ. As Christians, we're called to extravagantly give God what is most treasured by us. What is most treasured by you? Is it your time? Time that is pressed upon for a thousand different things. And yet, here in the church, one of the greatest sacrifices you make is your time. One of the continuous requests that we have to you is, please give your time. And you do. You give extravagantly. Is it your money? Is it your reputation? Oh, you're a fool to follow Christ. You're a fool to give your money to God. You're a fool to waste your time at church. You're a fool to think that Christ is more important than your family. You're a fool. Christianity is simply a religion for fools. The world hoards its treasures. The Christian gives everything to Jesus. This was an act of unrestrained love and devotion by Mary. Mary's extravagant act was highlighted even more as John notes, the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. That's not appealing to me. I walk through Macy's And I will go through children's clothes to avoid that area where all these women are spraying perfume over one another. It is, it just, it stinks in there. And and you've got to walk through that area. And and honestly, there have been times when I've had one of the ladies say, hey, here, do that for your wife. My wife hates perfume. She'll want to know who I've been with now that I am coming home. And yet Mary knows that as she breaks this vial, she anoints her Savior. She is extravagant towards him. This fragrance goes out. Now listen, the beauty and fragrance of Mary's devotional act It extended well beyond Simon's house. It is extended to this day. The fragrance of what she has done is remembered to this day. Matthew 26, as Mary has done this in Matthew 26, if I can find it. Truly, I say to you, Jesus says, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The fragrance of her extravagant act touches us today. 
And in the same way that she is extravagant, we as well should be extravagant that our extravagance towards Christ is a witness and a fragrance that permeates and touches all those around us. Regardless of whether or not we look foolish for Christ. Mary's act was one of extravagance. Her act was also one, uh, her devotion was one of humility. As Jesus reclines, Mary pours out the perfume upon his feet. Now the other gospels do speak about her anointing his head. John is making a point here by twice mentioning Jesus's feet because he wants to draw our attention to Mary's humility. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, the Jews at this day and age considered the washing of feet a degrading act for other than the most menial of slaves. Mary had no reservations at all. She had no reservations about humbling herself. For her, being at Jesus' feet was not new territory. She had been there before in Luke 10.39. When she was at Jesus' feet and Martha was copying her attitude. Hey, get Mary to help me as I'm serving. And Jesus said, no, what Mary has done, she has done what is best. She was at Jesus' feet. When Lazarus had died, Mary goes to Jesus and falls at his feet. And here in John 12, she is again found at the feet of her Savior. Living humbly before Christ is a way of life for her. One that should be an example to all Christians throughout all time. Even with her evident humility and Jesus' proclamation about what she has done will be remembered throughout history, the disciples don't get it. And we will learn about that in a few weeks as we study chapter 13. None of the 12 at the Passover meal were willing to serve the others by washing their feet. And so Jesus dones the towel and takes up the water and washes the feet of the disciples. I can't imagine what the disciples were feeling at that moment. Because I am sure this is just a few days later that they're looking back on Mary's extravagant act and now watching the creator of the world kneel at their feet and wash. Jesus is making a point a serious point of eternal importance to his disciples at that time. You might have missed what Mary has done, but don't miss what I'm doing. 
This is how you're to live if you're to follow me, humble, selfless, extravagant, not begrudgingly, cheerfully giving all of yourself to me regardless of the cost. Yes, look back on Mary and her humility and now look on mine. Oh, Mary's act of devotion was incredibly humble. Thirdly, Mary's act of devotion is sacrificial. There's a huge financial sacrifice in Mary's humble, extravagant act of devotion. The cost of the the perfume, the value. Again, it could have been a family inheritance. The perfume was rare. It was imported. It was fragrant. It was extremely valuable. But Mary sacrificed at this moment more than financial stability. She sacrificed her reputation. She looked like a fool because she knelt at the feet of Jesus. And she washed his feet with a perfume. John identifies Judas in his gospel as an angry man for the so-called waste that Mary has just committed. The synoptic gospel writers also include that the other disciples were indignant. John highlights Judas, and he, this is the only gospel where Judas, Judas's character is revealed. He is a thief, and he is a betrayer. But the other gospel writers reveal that the disciples themselves were indignant. And others in the room that Mary had wasted this perfume. But she didn't care. The sacrifice was not too great. She didn't care what others thought. She didn't care that they looked at her as a fool. Her only care was that she prepared and worshipped the one who she knew as the Messiah, the Son of God. The one who raises the dead who himself will soon die to take away the sin of the world. She has found life in his name because she believed in him and so her sacrifice was not excessive. If anything, in her mind, it was probably not enough. Mary's devotion to Jesus was extravagant. It was humble. It was sacrificial. And it was courageous. Think about this. Mary takes this vial, this alabaster, expensive alabaster jar. She breaks it. As we read in the other gospels, she pours it upon Jesus. She does it in a setting where there there was opposition from the Pharisees. There is no doubt this report of what Mary has done will get back to the Pharisees. There's opposition from the Pharisees. There's indignation from the disciples. There's ridicule from Judas. And in her courage, there is the accusation of her immorality. You see, for a woman in Jewish culture, the only time you ever let down your hair was in the privacy of your home, either with your husband or with your family. To do this 
in public was an immoral, undeniably immoral act. Jewish women did not do this. She courageously sacrificed her moral reputation. That's what makes this act of worship so stunning. The measure of her love was total abandonment for Christ. It didn't didn't matter that her devotion seemed to embarrass everyone else around her. She didn't care. And neither should we. Living for Christ is costly. It requires sacrifice from every one of us. It requires courage from every one of us. There will be times when you in this church, when you in your life will have to decide if your reputation is more important than your devotion to Christ. There will be times when your faith and your devotion will be embarrassing to others around you. Even other Christians. Maybe there have been times where you're embarrassed by the devotion, the expressions of faith and joy from others around you. Well, that's just a bit excessive. And there will be times, brothers and sisters, when you will have to choose whether or not you're willing to be seen as a fool for Christ or be accepted by the culture. May it never be for those of us in Grace Church. May we be willingly and humbly and extravagantly and sacrificially and courageously fools for Christ. That the world may see. I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but it's real. It's real. And it's very likely that those watching Mary at this banquet were embarrassed and that their indignation was just simply being confronted with the shallowness of their own faith and their own devotion to Christ. Listen, true Christianity is being willing to give everything to Jesus regardless of how foolish it looks to others and how much it costs. What's our application? Well, I want you to know Mary was not interested in being the central figure of this story. And although the the camera lens does focus in on her, it narrows and focuses even more on the one, the only one who truly matters. It zeroes in on Jesus, who's just been prepared for the most momentous week in all of human history. John narrows the lens to Jesus Christ. Mary is just the foil that prepares him for his crucifixion, his death as a substitute for us, to rescue us from God's holy and righteous wrath, to rescue us from the judgment that awaits us, to rescue us from this place called hell, a doctrine as true and as horrific as the scriptures tell us. 
John, zero us in on the Savior of the world. It's why he wrote this book that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might find life in his name in contrast to judgment and wrath and eternal death in hell. And if you are one who, as you sit here today, has not put your faith in Christ... John's story and Mary's act is a sign to you. A warning sign. And an offer that you can know Christ. You can be rescued if you put your faith in his having died for you. If you do do not know Christ, my friend, Please consider Jesus. Now, John does not include this story so that we walk away thinking, what an amazing woman Mary is, and we must be like her. He includes this story that we might see what an amazing Savior Jesus is, and we can't wait to give our lives to him. We can't wait to sacrifice for him. We can't wait to be extravagant towards him. We can't wait to be courageous for him. We can't wait to live humbly before him. That's what John writes this story for. That our eyes and our attention would not be about this amazing woman, amazing though she is. It is about the amazing Savior who is being prepared for death. But ever the good and loving shepherd, Jesus does take notice of Mary's and our acts of devotion. He delights in her and he defends her from Judas in verse 8. Leave her alone. Can you imagine the savior of the world saying to you, the creator of the universe, the God of the universe saying to you, leave her alone. (laughs) Sure, no problem. The one who has raised people from the dead. Oh, I can imagine what Judas must have thought at that moment. Now, this verse can be a bit... A bit troubling because Jesus says here, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Like she's supposed to keep the, the perfume until Jesus is dead and he is buried. But, but this is known as an ellipsis. It's, it's simply a sentence that is not fully completed. There, there's a portion of the sentence that was actually taken out. The, the, the reading of this verse more clearly is leave her alone so that she could keep it for the day of my burial is how it reads here but it reads leave her alone she did not sell the perfume as you wish she had so that she could keep it for the day of my burial the prophetic day of his burial the prophetic moment of right now anointing me for the burial and Jesus commends her And he commends us for our extravagant and our humble and our sacrificial and our courageous devotion to him. And we can learn something from Mary. 
And there's also someone else in this story, actually, we can learn from. Yes, Mary loved Jesus. And yes, Mary gave her all to Jesus. She, she poured out this perfume. But so did Martha. She's the other person in this story who expresses devotion and desire by serving Christ. By serving those around her. And this time, with a good attitude. She is very different from Mary. But her heart is to give all to Christ by the way she serves. We are all not like Mary. We're not like Martha. All of us have something different to give. It's no waste to give our lives to Christ in whatever manner. Tasker in his commentary in John says this, Mary understands that the words extravagance and waste are irrelevant where Christian devotion is concerned because the death of Jesus was no waste. She compared what she did to the death of Jesus, which was no waste. It's not important what we bring to Jesus, perfume or perspiration. It's not important. It's simply that we bring all to him. To who we see as the savior of the universe. The creator of the universe. The alpha. The omega. The king of kings. The lord of lords. The morning star. The lion of Judah. The rose of Sharon. The lamb of God. The prince of peace. The redeemer. Our friend. Emmanuel. Mighty God. The great I am. The ancient of days. Our saving grace. That's who Mary sees. And that's who we're to see. We do have something to offer because Jesus has given us everything. We've been bought with a price. We've been redeemed for something. And it's why our lives can have purpose and meaning. Now, yeah, we can never repay him for what he has done. Even still, in our devotion, no matter what we bring, it pleases him. Bruce Milne says this, he says, the encouragement of this incident is that our acts of devotion genuinely serve him within the wonder of God's condescension to us in Jesus Christ is his ability, the almighty who has need of nothing to allow us to minister to him in ways which bring delight to his heart and further his cause in the world. Whatever it is you bring in devotion to Jesus Christ is pleasing to him. He delights in it. And so, like Martha, like Mary, true Christian faith is being willing to give everything, regardless of how foolish it looks to others, because he gave everything to us. Now, I don't want to... hate closing with this, but I think it's important to prepare us. And I want to encourage you to read the rest of chapter 12 this week in preparation for next next week's message. But verse 9, when the large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So there's, I mean, it's a carnival show in many respects. 
So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. They were aware people were going to this banquet. They were aware people were excited about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And they were aware that because of this, as John writes in verse 11, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now, immediately after this banquet, this dinner, you will read in the other gospels that Judas leaves because he gets rebuked by Jesus because he had been a thief and he'd been taking from the, the money bag that the disciples had kept to serve the poor as well as to meet their needs. And so Judas is, is, is pretty ticked off that he gets nothing from this. And you see in the other Gospels, he immediately leaves. And he goes to the chief priests. And he betrays Jesus. And gets 30 pieces of silver for doing that. There's a motive. And there's an impetus behind Judas's horrible betrayal. The clock is ticking. The Passion Week is beginning. The crucifixion is just six days away. Father, help us, please, to abandon all for you. Lord, where there is any holding back where there is any item, reputation, time, money that we treasure more than you. Lord, please help us to discard that treasure and look to you. And Lord, as we enter these coming weeks and months ahead into the Passion Week of Christ, Lord, may we see more clearly and be impacted more profoundly by all Jesus has done for us that we might live for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.